Thank you for downloading this episode of Case Notes. Case Notes was recorded at the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh as part of the Edinburgh History of Medicine seminar series. You can get news of our latest events if you follow us on Twitter at RCP Heritage. We hope you enjoy the talk. The bloody proofs I had prepared of his Victorian's violence, counterfeiting the loss of virginity in early modern England. In each of the headbed posts, just above where the bedsteads are inserted into them, there was a small drawer so artfully adapted to the mouldings of the timberworks that it might have escaped even the most curious search, which drawers were easily opened or shut by the touch of a spring and were fitted each with a shallow glass tumbler full of a prepared fluid blood in which lay soaked for ready use a sponge that required no more than gently reaching the hand to it, taking it out and properly squeezing between the thighs, when it yielded a great deal more of the red liquid than would save a girl's honour, after which, replacing it and touching the spring, all possibility of discovery or even of suspicion was taken away. And this was not the work of the fourth part of a minute, and of whichever side one lay, the thing was equally easy and practicable by the double care taken to have each bedpost provided alike. True it is that had he waked and caught me in the fact, it would at least have covered me with shame and confusion. But then that he did not was, with the precautions I took, a risk of a thousand to one in my favour. The extract is taken from John Cleland's Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure, otherwise known as Fanny Hill, and is discussing Fanny's use of fake blood to mimic the loss of her virginity an event which the client, Mr Norbert, has paid substantially for and is expecting to find evidence of. Fanny and Cleland demonstrated a sound degree of sexual knowledge. Any medical text which discussed the different methods and tactics that women could use to reshape their bodies and aid their deceit could have been used by Cleland to inform his character of her choices. Whilst fictional, the text offers a male perspective of one type of female sexual fraud, recreating virginity. Women were believed to have used their own first-hand sexual knowledge alongside ideas taken from medical doctrine and popular works to efficiently and precisely perform the role of a virgin. Whilst the perpetrator may have fraudulently produced the physiological evidence of virginity's loss, the believability of their performance was reliant on more than blood. A virgin was and is defined as someone who was not engaged in sexual intercourse and the physical characteristics that usually accompanied it were our blood upon its initial loss and vaginal tightness. Female virginity was consistently noted within medical treatises of the early modern period, and virginal innocence, or lack of, was used as a way to define a woman's character within popular works, such as Cleland's Fanny Hill. As will be shown in this paper, medical treatises offered theorised logical explanations of how women could have lost the physical representation of their virginity prior to sex and how they may have recreated it. It is argued that due to this high volume of contrasting and uncertain arguments put forward by male authors, the female virginity was open to allegations and fears of fraud. Whilst the texts are indicative of medical theory, they are in no way definitive evidence of actual practice amongst early modern women. Yet alongside other sources, such as popular prints and literature, they do offer a varied picture of early modern beliefs about women, virginity and sexual fraud. Moreover, it will illustrate the physical means by which women were thought to be able to affect their deceptions, in some cases on a regular basis. 
Virtue and its loss has been argued by Randolph Trumbach to have been an important element of marriage and womanhood in the early modern period. The losing of one's virginity was not only symbolic for the woman as her entrance into an adult sexual environment, but also transferred transference of power between father of the bride to the new husband. Garthian Walker has noted virginity as an important element of rape cases, a feature which could determine the ruling of the court and the seriousness of the case. The assessment of counterfeit virginity also has a historiographical context. In 1982, it was first assessed by Paul Gabriel Boose, who assessed the medical author's depictions of counterfeit virginity and offers the most detailed account of this. Later in 1996, Tassie G. William argued that false virginity levelled the playing field between the sexes or even reverses completely the, appan the apparent balance of power and was indicative of female agency as it played upon the unknowableness of women. More recently, it was discussed by Sarah Reid in regard to Cleland's Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure, as she discusses how Fanny Hill's different types of blood were depicted and eroticised in the 18th century novel. Reid maps the events in the novel onto medical depictions of virginity's loss to show the ways that the theories and ideas presented in medical and pseudo-medical texts transferred into erotic fiction. This paper examines the depiction of counterfeit virginity in medical texts and popular works of early modern England. It argues that whilst false virginity was something to be feared and suspicious of, its consistent and clear portrayal within medical texts and novels over the 17th and 18th centuries meant that many men and women were aware of its existence. Therefore, contrasting to other historians' work on this topic, this paper also argues that many men were not only aware of fake virginity, but were also willing participants in these scenarios. Women were believed to have had the ability to falsify something desirable, their virginity. Whilst it may have threatened social stability due to fear surrounding paternity and inheritance, it was a sellable bodily feature. It could have been used by women to rectify their sexual reputation and was a bodily characteristic which many men wanted, fake or real, and arguably would could go along with. The scenario of defloration was a mutual sexual performance, and therefore it can be argued that many men were aware of a less than truthful encounter, but were sexually placated enough by the scenario. Whilst there is little to no evidence of false virgins actually existing, there was clearly a male desire for virgins, as otherwise, why would women go to such extreme lengths to counterfeit it? Throughout the early modern period, there remained a consistent debate between medical and popular opinions of what exactly virginity was and what the signs were of its loss. Whilst Cleland's novel may have brought the topic of counterfeit virginity to a slightly wider audience, he was not the first to discuss its replication and the use of bodily performance. Fanny's sexual performance and fake blood developed from Cleland's social and cultural understandings of the female body and virginity which were partially influenced by medical texts which were being circulated prior to his publication. Over the course of the early modern period, multiple medical texts competed for dominance in the field of disseminating medical and sexual knowledge to a wider audience, and some were continually republished for more than a century. The 1684 edition of the widely accessible pseudo-medical text Aristotle's Masterpiece noted that there is in maids in the neck of the womb a membranous production called the hymen, which is like the bud of a rose half blown, and this is broken in the first act of copulation, when the rose bud is expanded, virginity is wholly lost. The noting of the hymen as like a rose bud is symbolic, and the referring to its losses deflowerment was apparent during the 17th century, 
as it represented a loss of innocence and virtue. Aristotle's masterpiece continued, certain is there is in the first act of copulation something which causes pain and bleeding, which is an evident sign of virginity. But what this is, authors agree not. Some say it is a nervous membrane or thin skin with small veins, which bleed at the first penetration of the yard. Others say it is full caruncles, knobs or myrtle berries. This confusion about the physical manifestation of virginity was also present in the debate about whether the hymen existed at all. In 1651, Nicholas Culpepper wrote in his directory for midwives that there was a high degree of controversy about the hymen. He claimed that many authors denied the existence of the hymen, whilst others believed that, while possible, it only appeared rarely in a woman's body. Culpepper refused to state what he believed to be true and instead declared, I must suspend my own judgment till more years brings me more expertise. This debate was not resolved with time. By 1730, Aristotle's last legacy still noted that many authors did not agree on the anatomy of a woman's body before intercourse and what changed when virginity was lost. The unnamed author described various physical features that were thought to signal virginity, including nervous membrane, thin skin with veins, four caruncles or pieces of flesh, and a fleshy circle at the neck of the womb. The contradictory opinions meant that ideas about what virginity was and how its loss was signalled were not universal and were instead malleable depending on circumstance and situation. Despite this long-running lack of consensus, most medical texts acknowledge that bleeding caused by the breaking of the hymen and vaginal tightness were indicative of a lack of sexual experience. These authors were clear though that these signs would not necessarily appear in every woman. This meant that they were largely emphatic that the absence of these signs did not designate previous sexual experience. In 1660, physician and natural philosopher Walter Charleston noted that anatomists generally say of the signs of virginity, namely that the appearance of them is a certain evidence of the bride's chastity, but the non-appearance is no proof of her deflowerment before marriage. Thomas Bartholinus stated that not all virgins would bleed upon loss of virginity, especially if they had previously used fingers or an instrument. Aristotle's masterpiece, 1697, and Aristotle's last legacy, 1730, were quick to note that an excessive lust or desire for a man was thought to be able to break the hymen. Other reasons why the hymen might be broken before intercourse included internal bodily pressures such as the stopping of urine, coughing, violent straining or sneezing. Although it was not mentioned in these discussions of the loss of virginity, the tightness of the vagina was also acknowledged to be a common sign. Ambrose Paré noted in 1665 that sexually experienced women's vaginas were wider and larger, whilst in virgins it is more contract, straight and narrow. But how deceitful and untrue these signs and tokens are. Aristotle's legacy stated in 1730 that the straightness of the privities was symbolic of virginity, but that privities may be made so straight by the use of astringent medicines that a whore may be sometimes taken for a virgin. Some texts and authors, including Aristotle's masterpiece, 1684, Thomas Bartholinus and Thomas Gibson, encouraged women not to marry during menstruation, as this might make the vagina feel loose after in consummation. They offered this caution because they believed that non-medical non practitioners would take this as a sign that a woman had already experienced intercourse. Aristotle's masterpiece claimed, for example, all virgins beware. Perhaps the indiscreet of unwary bride was her menses but a day or two before, in which case both the hymen and the 
in the wrinkled membranes of the vagina are flaggy and relaxed, so that no such effusion may happen. It were better, therefore, upon this account, that where virgins are about to marry, they would fix their wedding day at least six or seven days after the menses have done flowing. The Bartholomew's anatomy similarly declared that, if her menses flow or have flowed a little before, the yard is easily admitted by reason of the relaxation of those parts, whence there is little or no pain and little or no flux of blood, and therefore maids ought not to be married at that season, lest the bridegroom come to suspect the virginity of his bride. What these texts reveal is that there was a choice of narratives available to women to explain the absence of physical proof of their virginity. While supplying readers with the most evident series of signs of virginity, blood and tightness, medical authors also offered believable explanations for why these signs might not appear. Prostitutes creating the illusion of innocence and virtue were not only referred to within literature of the 18th century, but also in Harris's list of Covent Garden ladies, an annual directory of prostitutes working in Georgian London starting in 1756. The text was primarily aimed at the middle class as the price was between two and three shillings per edition. In the 1773 edition, 14-year-old Polly Jenkinson was explained to have been debauched 10 months previously by a man who was later sent to prison. The author continued to state how she has passed for a maidenhead since that period 20 times and is paid accordingly. And being under the direction of a very good lady who directs her to play her part to admiration, she is in a fair way of getting money. The author is referring to the counterfeiting of virginity and he discussed how it could be used to earn a good wage, vaguely referring to its economic value in passing. She is the only woman found to have been depicted in this manner. In the 1789 edition, Mrs. Hillingberg was described as, this lady, though an adept in the art, so nobly ever impudence with false modesty that her lover would be almost led to think his chosen sight an immaculate virgin. However, alongside offering descriptions of the women and their qualities, the author chose to note some of the women's loss of virginity. In 1793, the author explained that regarding Miss Lewis from Oxford Street, 12 months have scarcely elapsed since her rose was plucked. An artist of some celebrity is said to be the fortunate seducer of her treasure. The recentness of her first sexual encounter is used to imply her newness to prostitution and may have also helped to attract particular men who disregarded more experienced women. Therefore, whilst the ability of these prostitutes to replicate their virginity was not noted, except in Polly's case, it is clear that the illusion of innocence may have been as important to prospective clients as the sexual act itself. There was, however, a more medically practical aspect to having sex with a virgin, which may have been employed by some prostitutes within their advertising to male patrons. Someone who had never had sex was not able to pass on sexually transmitted diseases. Noel Gallagher argues that, contrary to other historians' arguments, that women were blamed for the spread of venereal disease. She has identified many 18th century texts which present the disease as male and caused by male sexual indiscretion. This meant that virgins were believed to have not been tainted by male indiscretion and thus excluded from the contraction of sexual diseases. Furthermore, for much of the early modern period, sex with a virgin was believed to be a cure for diseases such as syphilis and gonorrhea. This belief may have in part influenced prostitutes' claims of virginity and allowed them to charge higher fees due to their proposed treatment of venereal disease through sex. In 1732, Dr. Crawford,
Bradford published letters and transcripts between Catherine Weld and her allegedly impotent husband as she was petitioning for a divorce. The central focus of the case was whether she was still a virgin. The text was designed by the medical practitioner who was involved in the case and does not hesitate to promote his views regarding the female body and condemns any form of supposed proof of existing virginity. The visitation of the wife, therefore, can prove nothing as to the ability of the husband. There are a thousand ways of losing the marks of virginity without having to do with a man. There are, in like manner, a thousand ways of recovering them again, when it has been really lost by having to do with a man. As shall be made appear, and consequently, virginity may not be admitted as proof of the husband's insufficiency. This quote can be used to support the varied beliefs of virginity and the hymen, which were noted previously, and suggests that due to the diversity of ways in which the hymen could be broken or altered, the female body could not be trusted even upon formal inspection. One letter from the published account stated that inspection cannot at all be depended on, it being in the power of a wife who hates a husband to counterfeit virginity. It was implied that even evidence observed by a professional was to be disbelieved on occasion. It is the opinion of all the doctors that the hands and eyes are far from being certain because women can easily imitate and counterfeit them and so impose upon their husbands. Dr Crawford believed that women could alter their genitalia and re recreate the signs and indicators of virginity but offered no detail of how the deceit could be enacted. Whilst the theme of impotence is not investigated in this paper, the publication of the World Impotence Trial does provide evidence that women's bodies and the validity of their signs of virginity could be counteracted by medical professionals within certain social contexts. The medical and cultural speculation of whether women's bodies could be trusted was made evident by the inclusion of discussions surrounding the existence and construction of counterfeit virginity. For women seeking to counterfeit their virginity, whether for financial profit or in order to restore their reputation, there was a range of accessible texts which could help them to enact their bodily manipulation. In 1658, Italian scholar Giambattista della Porta's posthumous text, Natural Magic, was published in English. It commented on the ability of women to fake their virginity and suggested a variety of ways that Porta believed women to use to manipulate their bodies. A woman deflowered made a virgin again, made little pills thus of burnt alum, mastic with a little vitriol and orpiment, make them into a very fine powder that you can scarce fill them. When you have made them pills with rainwater, press them close with your fingers and let them dry, being pressed thin, and lay them on the mouth of the matrix where it was first broken open, change it every six hours, always fermenting the place with rain or cistern water, and that for 24 hours and that it will here and there make little bladders, which being touched will bleed much blood, that she can hardly be known from a maid. Porter described the application of an irritant that created genital blisters or sores, which would bleed when touched and so mimic the appearance of a broken hymen. His depiction was explicit, and he provided women with step-by-step -step instructions for how to achieve this appearance, including how often to apply the mixture and for how long. The creation of these blisters was likely to have been painful and they may have taken a while to heal. This would have meant that to replicate their virginity, some women may have caused themselves real bodily harm. Alongside these personal methods, used primarily by the women seeking to enact their own bodily fraud, Porter also noted that midwives might be involved in this type of deception. This may have fueled societal fears that there was a female conspiracy to commit sexual fraud. He explained that, 
midwives that take care of this do it another way. They contract the place with the decoction of the aforementioned things. Then they set a leech fast on upon the place, and so they make a crusty matter or scab, which being rubbed will bleed. Others, when they have straightened the part, inject the dried blood of a hare or pigeon, which being moistened by the moisture of the matrix, shows like live fresh blood. Rather than only applying a mixture to the genitals, midwives use live leeches or the blood from dead animals to imitate the effects of the hymen breaking. This suggests medical writers believed that women were willing to go to considerable lengths to fraudulently claim that they were still virgins. These fears were not confined to medical literature. They also appeared in a Sir Charles Sidney's poem published in 1684. He discussed false virginity and the cheating ways of women, stating, Dipsas, who first taught lovesick maids the way to cheat the bridegroom on the wedding day, and then a hundred subtle tricks devised wherewith the amorous theft might be disguised, of pigeon's blood squeezed from the panting heart with surfeit water to contract the part. She knows the use, whilst the good man betrayed, with eager arms hugs the false bleeding maid. Like Porter's text, the poem described the use of animal blood applied to the genitals to mimic the loss of virginity on the wedding night. Unlike the medical text, Sidley did not describe how the blood was applied, suggesting to readers perhaps that women might already know how to do this. The second sign which it was feared could be counterfeited was the shape and tightness of the vagina. As with concerns surrounding the blood of defloration, non-medical texts described the fear that women had a number of ways to alter the shape of their bodies. Thomas Middleton's play, The Phoenix, described how drugs and art were supposedly used by women. First rare to have a bride commence a maid, but whose beguiled joy of the purity and is made strict by power of drugs and art. An artificial maid, a doctor virgin, and so deceives the glory of his bed. As Middleton's verse from 1607 implies, the mysterious nature of the body and the lack of clarity about the signs of virginity encouraged a fear that women could falsify virginity by concealing its loss. While popular literature remained vague about the methods of achieving this deceit, describing only drugs and waters, medical literature provided more details about the particular medical compositions and ingredients particularly associated with this type of fraud. Most commonly, these works described comfrey and alum water. In 1651, Nicholas Culpepper explained that the vagina could be manipulated and reshaped, stating that, for after many acts of venery, it may be made so straight by stringent medicines that whores may be taken for virgins, as we showed concerning a wench that was married, she used a bath of comfrey roots to appear a virgin again. Culpepper's reference to a supposedly real instance of a woman enacting this deception perhaps added further fuel to societal fears. Moreover, he implied that she managed this deception by employing the commonly accessible ingredient, comfrey. Comfrey was one component which emerged continually in different medical texts between the 17th and 18th century. Botanical texts such as Anonymous and English Herbal and John Peachy's The Complete Herbal of Physical Plants discussed the healing qualities of comfrey on different wounds and ailments. Peachy explained where to find comfrey and its physical appearance to make it easier to identify for readers. He also stated it is an excellent wound herb which qualifies the acrimony of the humours and is used in all fluxes, especially the belly. 
What this shows is that comfrey had a variety of uses and was perhaps well known to women who practiced domestic medicine. Comfrey was also mentioned in the posthumous vernacular copy of Swiss physician Felix Platter's text, 1664, which stated that, women have some medicines for the external orifice of the womb to make them conceive the better and to conceal the loss of virginity by often applying astringents which make the parts straighter. A fermentation or incession is in use for this purpose made of the decoction of galls, pomegranate peels with red wine, vinegar and alum. Sometimes they add comfrey roots, leaves of stomach, plantain, oak, cypress, nuts, pine barks. In this case, comfrey had to be mixed with a range of other ingredients. Likewise, the 1712 posthumous English translation of German physician Michael at Muller's treatise meticulously detailed how comfrey had to be mixed into a bath or fermentation. The virginity once lost can never be properly restored, yet an artificial one aping the truth may be obtained by straightening the genitals and retrieving their natural tone, which is affected by baths and fermentations such as the root of the greater comfrey, plantain lady's mantle, take a vocum plantain leaves, root of comfrey three ounces, galls an ounce, alum half an ounce, boil them in water, this decoction may be injected by a syringe or applied with sponge. In addition to outlining the numerous components of the astringent, Etmuller, more than other authors, explained how it was to be applied to the genitals. Whilst others only described bathing and comfrey, Etmuller clearly outlined using a syringe or sponge to apply comfrey and other ingredients to the vaginal area, an intimate and much more invasive process than a bath. Alum water was another concoction mentioned in a range of early modern texts. In 1685, Henri Francois Ledrand's text, Consultations on Most of the Disorders that Require the Assistance of Surgery, was published in England. He explained that alum water was commonly used as an astringent in the treatment of wounds. Outside of these medical texts, it is evident that society feared this powerful astringent would be used to recreate virginity. John Wilmot Sodom, or the Quintessence of Debauchery from 1678, said, The already cockled gets a maidenhead which is a toy, done by the powerful aid, hunt washed with alum, makes a whore a maid. It is not clear how widespread an issue this truly was, but it does appear to have been regarded as a legitimate concern by many contemporaries of the period. Its appearance within medical texts and popular literature can be seen to be symbolic of societal fears over women's bodies and female sexual knowledge within the early modern period. Yet the authors who warned their readers about the means of bodily fraud were perhaps accidentally also informing women how they may be able to commit their own fraud by falsifying their virginity. Rather than informing the masses, these texts instructed women how to commit bodily fraud. And whilst allowing fears to flourish, they also allowed particular sexual desires to evolve and develop as men were being consistently told that fake virginity was something which could be paid for and even expected. Far from being an act of deceit as first suspected, counterfeit virginity was a feature which was manipulated, sold and ultimately desired. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our History of Medicine lecture series, Case Notes. This podcast has been brought to you by the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh. We're a charity, and if you enjoyed today's show, head over to rcpe.ac.uk backslash heritage for more information and how to donate. Thank you.